We're in the book of Activation. We're up to chapter 18. It's page 104. If you've been following along in your black journal, uh, please do so today. The flow of the book of Acts is pretty easy. It's the activation of believers in Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 through 7. The activation of believers in all Judea and Samaria. That's chapters 8 through 12. And the activation of believers to the ends of the earth, that's chapters 13 through 28. In chapter 18, it's the activation of God and the, the, the activation of the gospel in Greece. The gospel finally comes to Greece now in chapter 18. It begins, verse 1, after this Paul left Athens, that's in Greece, and went to Corinth, that's in Greece. Now, as we look at the, the book of Acts, there's a lot of individual activation. You've got the God using Peter and the transformation of Peter in Acts chapter 2 when, he, when here a month earlier he denies Christ three times in front of a middle school girl and now he's preaching in front of a, a crowd of thousands in the city that just crucified Christ. I mean, it's a transformation, but it's Peter. And then you've got the, the, the transformation of, of, of John and, and the, God raising up John and James, God raising up James to be the pastor of the church in, in Jerusalem. You've got Paul and the, God raising up Paul and God raising up uh, Stephen and then Philip. You've got individual, individual, individual. But don't miss the fact that with all these individuals being focused on God's putting together a church. He's putting together people. He's bringing uh, really uh, people that had nothing else in common except Jesus. You've got in Acts 13, you've got five individual leaders, one from the Mediterranean, one was a full-blooded Jew, one was a a Roman, and a a guy who was best friends with with Herod, Herod, Herodian. Uh, You've got an African and you've got a Greek, five guys that had nothing in common except Jesus, but God brings them together. And, and in the book of Acts, you've got divine moments when, when obviously the Holy Spirit came on the upper room. The Holy Spirit uh, gathered 3,000 in one day. You, you, by this time, we've got miracles with, with handkerchiefs being used to, to bring healing to people. You've got signs and wonders. You've got a person raised from the dead. You've got a paraplegic that had been that way for uh, more than a decade, maybe two decades, uh, able now to, to jump up and down and dance. Uh, you've got these signs and wonders are, are, are all over the book of Acts. You've got all these Miracle, 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 miracle. But at the same time, don't miss the fact of the miracle of, that's going on horizontally yeah. as God's bringing people together and building teams of people, building his church, building families. And that's why Jesus came. Uh, don't miss, in, in the middle of all the supernatural and the signs and wonders and the sensational, don't miss the social, the communal, and the relational miracles that are taking place. Now, here in Acts 18, really the theme of Acts 18 is not what Paul's doing. 
It's a couple, it's a husband and wife team that we're introduced to. It says here now in verse two, and he found a Jew, this is Paul in Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy. He was actually in Rome, and we're gonna learn that in the next uh, line, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who had, was the Roman governor in Italy, had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And so now Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, now that seems harmless enough, but it's significant enough that it's included here for a reason. We're going to see in this one chapter, we're going to see the rise of the first married couple being used by God as husband and wife, mightily used by God in the church. This is the first. Now, so far, the only leaders in the church are um, the apostles that Jesus sanctioned and the deacons that the apostles sanctioned, but we don't see other leaders. Until we come here, now we see other leaders. And who, who sanctioned them? We don't know. But we know that they're now refugees in Greece from Italy, from Rome. And, and they were religiously persecuted by the Romans and kicked out of Rome. And so they're immigrants. These are refugees that settled now in Greece. But they're believers. They're Jews, it says that. But they're believers in Christ. Well, where did they come from? There's only one answer. The only way that there were Jewish believers in Rome is because these were among those that were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. They were among the 3,000 that got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. They go back as believers and they start a church in, in Rome. Then they get kicked out and they go to, to Corinth, Greece. So what this means is they have been Christians longer than Paul. That's significant. Paul knows that. These, these, these are among God's choice servants. And, and notice what they do. So verse three, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue, verse four, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, <clears throat> now, he was effective. Paul's effective. We learn here in verse seven that there's a, the leader of the synagogue whose name is Crispus. I don't know, Crispus, it sounds like... Um, a cracker or, or a brand of cereal or something, Crispus. Well, Crispus is, is, a, is an influential guy. And as full-blooded Jews, uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, all full-blooded Jews, they come now to the synagogue and Paul's preaching, well, Crispus gets saved. Yes. 
and not only does he get saved, it says, and his whole household. Now, a household does not just mean your wife and kids. This is your, your friends, your circle of friends. So there's a, a large contingent of the synagogue, all Jews, that are now born again. And they're baptized. But that's not all. Wait, there's more. So it goes on here in verse 7. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, and believed and were baptized. So the Corinthians are not Jews. They've already been saved because they're in, in Crispus's household. These Corinthians are the Gentiles. So now we've got both Jew and Gentile getting saved in Corinth with Paul staying at the home of Priscilla and Aquila. The hospitality, the generosity of Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Paul gets a prophetic word. Verse 9, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. Verse 10, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Well, he knows many are his people because already a whole slew of Jews have gotten saved. A whole slew of Gentiles have gotten saved. But that's only the beginning. There, there's a whole city yet to reach. And so Paul goes after the whole city. So then look at what the next verse says. And he stayed a year and six months. Well, preaching the word, but where did he stay? He extends his stay with Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, I've had house guests. I've had house guests for a day or two. I've had house guests once that dragged into a week. Once, I think, dragged into two weeks. And I mean dragged. I'm saying it dragged. You know what I'm talking about, when house guests drag. But imagine, these are house guests, not for a week or two, a month or two. This is a year and a half. Are you kidding me? Either this is going to go bad or something supernatural is happening. Yes. I mean, Paul's no easy guy to live with. Paul's a strong bull in the china shop. Yes. Yes. This is a lot of grace going on here, folks. <laughs> Don't miss this. Yep. And the amount, okay, so get this. Imagine being kicked out of your home in Rome. You go as refugees to a new city and then before you know it, you're housing a house guest and it drags on for a year and a half. This is extraordinary hospitality. This is extraordinary generosity. But it's only the beginning. Now we come to verse 18. So Paul stayed many days longer, it says, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. He's going back to where he was born again, Damascus, Syria. So Paul's going back to where he was born again. But notice what it says. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah. So now the, the, the people that provided housing for Paul for these 18 months now become traveling companions on the mission trip that Paul's taking to Syria all the way from Greece. Now, Greece is on basically on one end of the Mediterranean. Syria is on the other end. So this is a significant trip that they're taking together. 
verse 19. They came to Ephesus. And, okay, look at the next words. So you know Ephesus. This is significant. We're going to come back to Ephesus next week. It's, it's just a setup. I love it when, when we plan the sermon series and then God gives us just what we need for that week. Yeah. Wait till we come. If you want a prelude, look at Acts 19.19. 19. It is uh, a slam dunk for Halloween Sunday. Hallelujah. They burned $17 million worth of, of occult stuff. I mean, is that not a perfect text for Halloween Sunday? Would you give me a break? This is a setup, I'm telling you. Okay, so that, that takes place in Ephesus. We'll come back to Ephesus. But, but notice, Paul first travels with, with Priscilla and Aquila, but then he leaves them. Now, this is not, oh, he forgot to invite them or he intentionally didn't invite. No, he intentionally left them, which means he appointed them with apostolic authority to go to work in Ephesus. So Priscilla and Aquila have an incredible foundational ministry that others would build upon in the city of Ephesus. And we're going to see this unfold. But that's, so, so now really, they become the founding pastors of the church in Ephesus. And history tells us that. If you were to Google, by the way, Priscilla and Aquila, please don't do it now, but you can find that tradition says that when Jesus sent out the 72, as recorded in Luke's gospel, Priscilla and Aquila were among them. That's kind of cool. That's tradition. We can't prove it. We'll find out one day. But where did they come from? So anyway, that's, that's possible. We know they were born again, or most likely born again uh, and filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, go back to Rome, get displaced, meet up with Paul in Corinth, and here they go. Now, so they, they house Paul. They, they mother and father Paul. They, they care for him, provide for him generously, uh, quite extravagantly. Then they travel with Paul on a mission trip. And th- think of this. This is, this is the first Christian couple you're going to find anywhere in the scriptures. Yeah. Now, we've got a lot of Christian couples here in this room, but th- these are the first. We've got a, a lot of ministry couples in this room. Th- these are the first. We've got uh, some missionary couples. You know, you think of Raymond and Mary Eva. You think of Jim and Heather Hatcher. How many missionary couples have we sent out? Here's the first ones. This is the first. This is the first in a long line. That's why this is so significant. And we don't know that anyone initially appointed them on the horizontal, but God appointed them and raised them up. This is a new level of of anointing, of, of thrusting forth laborers into the harvest field. It's a new moment in church history. So now they're left in in Ephesus. But then we see them again. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. 
But he wasn't playing with a full deck. That's probably a bad expression to use in this sense. But he, 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 he was competent, but he wasn't complete. Yeah. Now understand this. The baptism of John was a halfway baptism. Yeah. It was repenting from self-reliance and sin. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't repenting to anything because Jesus hadn't come yet. The repentance of Jesus was a repentance from sin to God, from self-empowerment to Holy Spirit empowerment. So it's, notice what it says. It says he was competent in the scriptures, but he only taught half of the Bible. He taught half the gospel. He, what he taught, he was proficient at, but what he left out was, was pretty flagrant. So look at verse 26. He began speaking boldly in the synagogue, but, whenever you find a but in scripture, it's like, ah. he, was, he was going to town, teaching in the synagogue boldly. He was letting it fly, but, but, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Notice they didn't undress him publicly. They didn't stop him mid-sentence. They let him finish and he, because he was doing the best he had. Uh, he, they didn't humiliate him, but they took him, but, but, but they took him aside. You can just see him putting their arms around him. Uh, thanking them for uh, thanking him for the word of God. Thank you for your diligence and and the way you studied and deliver. You're eloquent and you know the scriptures, but you you don't know it completely. Let us coach you. Let us mentor you. Let us train you, and so so that when you then preach, you can have a full arsenal. And they did it with humility and with boldness and with equal boldness. He did it bold. Apollos did it boldly publicly. They did it boldly privately. And they, they completed his arsenal. Amen. And he received it. Yes. And Apollos will go on to play a major role in the early church history. Yes. Remember, you, you, some of you know this scripture from Corinthians. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Think of that. That's a significant role in the spread of the gospel and the building of the church. That's Apollos. But don't miss the fact that Apollos would never have gotten there if it were not for Priscilla and Aquila mentoring them. How many times you have spoken into my life not humiliating me and embarrassing me, but taking me to the side and say, Pastor, you know, have you thought about this? I, I want to share with you from the scriptures this, oh, and God gives revelation, and I become a more complete pastor, a more complete preacher. Yes. The, the quiet role of godly, faithful people in the church speaking into our leaders. Amen. Now, the first time we read Priscilla and Aquila is in uh, verse 2, and it's Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah. That's the socially, uh, that's social protocol to mention the man's name first. Yeah. But from then on, we hear Priscilla and Aquila. Mm. 
Priscilla and Aquila violates social protocol, but it, it, it just told it like it is. Now, we're not done. We, we've seen three examples. Verse 2, Priscilla, or Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 18, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila. So, but let's just look at these three again. They start by showing hospitality and extraordinary generosity. Then they're invited on a mission trip, so they're given more responsibility. Then they're deputized and set over the church in, in Ephesus. Then, having been set in Ephesus, when this out-of-town preacher shows up, they now play the role of sharpening his axe. They're fine-tuning and mentoring what would become one of the great preachers in early church history. That's a higher level of leadership and influence than simply opening their front door to allow uh, Paul to stay with them. Amen. But do you see the progression? Yeah. They're faithful in hospitality. They're extraordinary in generosity. Then they're invited to travel. Then they're deputized and set over a church. Now they're mentoring one of God's choice leaders. Now, we've got three times that they're mentioned in the New Testament. There's two more. The next, and I'm not going to read it, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. Greet those in the, greet the church in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. And notice the sequence, Priscilla and Aquila. And, and the other, and I'm going to read this, is Romans 16, verse 3 through 5. Here it is again. Greet Prissa. Oh, now, now, now it's not just Priscilla. It's Prissa. It's a little more casual. It's kind of a pet name. Aquila is still Aquila, but Priscilla has now become Prissa. I don't know what to make of it other than it's, it's kind of a pet name. It's, it's, it's far more casual. It's an abbreviation. It's, it's an endearing name. But notice the sequence. Now, before we leave the sequence... What we have to conclude from this is that among the two, the, the woman was the more dominant. Yeah. She was the more forceful. Yeah. She was the more influential. And there's nothing unrighteous about this. In fact, I would say it, it, in some ways, it, it really, this violates far more social protocols in the first century than it would today. And so for the order, the gender order of the wife in front of the husband to be included every time after the first, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, clearly shows that she was the more forceful, the more influential of the two, and that that's okay with God. Yes, it is. We, we, this to me is freeing. It's so righteous. But again, in order for it to work, God, really, the kingdom of God had to tear down a, a social protocol that was not useful. Yes. And the kingdom of God has to have the right to tear down social protocols that are no longer useful. 
See what it is? I'm not making this up. This is clearly in the kingdom of God, uh, the, 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 the interaction and dynamic between two spirit-filled believers who are married to each other. Uh, there's no right or wrong in terms of the more uh, forceful, the more influential, the, the, the stronger gifted. You could say it however you want to say it. But if it works, it works and go with it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But look at what the next thing Paul says here. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers. He's, he's considering them equals. Yeah. These are not lieutenants. These are not my servants. These are co-workers, my fellow workers. But look at verse 4. Who risked their necks for my life. Somehow, Paul's life was on the line, and to protect Paul, they intervened in some way that could have cost them their lives, but they did it anyway to protect his. Isn't that greater love has no man than this, that a man laid on his life for his friends? They they, They willingly chose, there was some decision that they faced, and they were willing to pay the ultimate price to save Paul. Wow. I'd say they, they passed the test. They qualified. And Paul never forgot it. And he says, to whom? Not only do I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. All the churches that I will ever plant All say thank you, Priscilla and Aquila, because had you not done that, I would not have been able to bless them. My reward is your reward. Greet also the church in their house. Hallelujah. So here they are. Here they are. Maybe they're back in Rome because this is written to the Romans. Maybe now they've relocated. Maybe the governor Claudius is no longer evicting Jews. or Maybe they snuck in. Who knows how they got back. But apparently they're back in Rome and they're now pastoring a church because John uh, took over the church in Ephesus. Hallelujah. So Priscilla and Aquila. This is a monumental moment in the church, the flow of church history. It's a godly couple that learned how to function together without elbowing, without egos, just serving gladly, starting by, with hospitality, lavish hospitality, generosity, then the willingness to uproot it a second time and go travel and then be relocated and planted in Ephesus, then to mentor uh, Apollos and then to end up back in Rome and have a whole church in their home again. And you know something? You never hear one word out of their mouths. The book of Acts is full of speeches. You've got Peter's speech on Pentecost. You've got Stephen's uh, speech when he was on trial that got him killed. You've got um, Philip's conversation with the eunuch. You've got... Paul's speech in front of uh, 20 different people, but we never hear one word out of Priscilla and Aquila. And I just want to say, some of us 
make the church wheels turn without a word. In fact, it's those that serve like that that make the church wheels roll. It's, you don't need everybody with a microphone, but you need everybody serving. And their role will never be recorded by the speeches they gave, but by the example they set. And when I look out on this congregation, the strength of Lilburn Alliance Church is sitting out here. It's not standing up here. It's those that serve and serve and serve and mentor and give generously and show hospitality and are planted here and bear fruit here and take others under your wings and mentor and train and equip and do the work of of church ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to introduce you to a guy that's kind of makes me smile. Some of you probably have never heard the name Kabi LeMay. Uh, 18 months ago, he didn't have, he was, uh, he lost his job. He's Senegalese born, but has been living in Italy during COVID, he lost his job. He's only 21 years old today but he's one of the world's greatest influencers. 21 years old. And um, he has 100 million TikTok followers and 33 million Instagram followers. And he picks up 200,000 new followers every month. It's this picture. He's received 1.5 billion likes. And he has one video that was seen 158 million times. 158 million times. And 18 months ago, he was jobless. And his whole message, his whole message, his life needs to be simple. And his videos are only like a minute, two minutes, some are shorter. But the whole thing is life needs to be simple. And he kind of pokes fun at other popular videos that are very, you know, elaborate and making life so complex and only for the, the, the top tier of society. But he brings it down to the, the normal person's level. But the thing that amazed me about this guy is none of his videos have one word. He never says a word. But he said, it's my smile and my actions that makes people laugh. And it's my message that connects with the average person. All that influence without a word. That's Priscilla and Aquila. Don't underestimate the power of a simple life. Don't underestimate the influence that you can have by good deeds without a lot of words. There's nothing that rings truer to a skeptical generation like ours than a life lived of inauthenticity. And that's the message of Priscilla and Aquila. 
You can't change your situation. Some of you have been uprooted. You're living in a place where you may have never chosen. They didn't choose it either. But God, plant, they were planted there and they blossomed. They used what they had to the glory of God. They didn't seek to raise themselves up. They sought to serve those around and serve in any way they could. And that's how the church is built. And it's as supernatural as any of the sensational miracles of handkerchiefs and shadows healing people. It's the dramatic ways that God builds his church by everyday kindness, hospitality, love, and mentoring. Yes. Hallelujah. Father, we receive this message as really, it's a pat on the back, it's a, it's a look in the eye of blessing, of affirmation, and I pray, Lord, that you would use this message uh, and validate uh, whether married or divorced or single, uh, whether younger or older, regardless of season in life. The message of Priscilla and Aquila was regardless of whether you're a woman or a man, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of whether you're ordained into ministry or you're an everyday person uh, doing the best you can, that there's a call of God on each one of us. And it's the power of the gospel. It's that God uses simple people with a simple message to change the world. And we receive your word today and the encouragement of these encouraging people used as a team to team up with others and move the kingdom of God forward and to build the church. Lord, we believe that you're using ordinary people right here in northeast Atlanta to not only establish this church, but to build many others through us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.